Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Cancrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner that's worthy of the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she's been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are note of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apellus, approved in Christ. Greet those who are in the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Trephosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Asenicritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. In a Forbes magazine report, there was an article. It read, according to the 2006 American Time Use Survey, 58% of people in the United States regularly eat on their own. Another survey from the Kelton Research, a national polling firm in 2008, found that three out of four American adults take their meals alone, at least occasionally. Additionally, two-thirds said that they would rather eat dinner in their pajamas on their couch rather than have a fancy meal at a restaurant. It seems to me that people eat alone for one of two reasons. Because they want to, or because they feel like they have to. I'm sure there were times in Paul's life where he felt all alone. And if this chapter tells us anything about Paul, it reminds us that Paul is a people person. Now that might come as a shock to some of you because you might think of Paul because you've read this book as a towering intellect, a genius, a theologian, a pastor, an ex-Pharisee who changes the course of Christianity and civilization and you would be right. But can you imagine having dinner or lunch with Paul? And you might talk about some fine point of theology. 
You might talk about some organizational issue when it comes to the church. You might want to set him straight on his point of view of women in ministry. Some of you might be a little intimidated because he was a great man. And how do you have a relationship with a great man? And we discover something, that he is a a people person. He makes every effort to form friendships and relationships. We discover something about Paul. He is a theologian. He is a pastor. But he loves people and he is a friend. A friend is a push when you've stopped. A a friend is a person who speaks a word when you're lonely. A guide when you're searching. A smile when you're sad. A song when you're glad. And the last time I taught through this particular book, we were quite literally getting ready to purchase this property. We were getting ready to build it out. And one well-meaning congregant suggested that we just skip the Bible altogether, that we skip the Bible study, that we pray. We pray to the Lord about the building and about the future. And then he said something really interesting. He said, it's, Romans 16 is just a list of names anyway. And I thought to myself, you never understand just how a list of names can be quite impacting until you've been to the Vietnam Memorial and you place your hand on the wall where there's 50,000 names and you remember that one of those names is your father or your son or your brother or your husband. There's a time to pray, and there's a time to teach. And the person who who believes that this is simply a list of names fails to appreciate both the context and the text. You may read a list of names, but I'm reading a list of names of people that Paul cared about. And if the only thing that you learn about this passage... If the only takeaway that you come away with is that Paul cares about people and that he loves people and that he exercises warmth and tenderness and we could even go so far as to say affection towards people, you will have learned much. The word greet appears 19 times in this In the New Testament, in 17 of those times, it's by the Apostle Paul. Our text has 24 names that are in Rome, 17 men, 7 women. In addition, there are two households that are mentioned. The mother of Rufus in verse 13, the sister of Nereus. Nine of the people mentioned were with Paul in Corinth. Eight men, one woman. Paul appears to have developed A number of warm personal relationships. And remember, remember where he's writing this note from. He's writing it from Corinth. And just outside of Corinth is the bustling port of Cancrea. Cancrea is a place where ships are loading and unloading. People are coming and people are going. And Paul is staying in touch. Paul will list their name and some outstanding characteristic. So what's in a name? A lot. 
when I was born, <laughs> my father, who was from Sicily, said, Can you believe he's here? We're going to give him an American name. We're gonna, he's going to speak English, and we're going to give him an American name. We'll call him Gino. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Susan Boatwright tells a story in Today's Christian Woman. She writes, at church one morning, my friend Gwen was about to start her four-year-old Sunday school class when a little boy showed up without any identification, and Gwen managed to get his first name but couldn't get his last name. Brian, what's your daddy's name? She asked. Daddy, he replied. She tried again. Brian, what's your mom's name? Mommy, he answered. Suddenly, she realized exactly how she could get the answer that she needed. Brian, what does your daddy call your mommy? His face lit up, and with a grin and a deep voice, he said, Hey, baby. (laughs) It's just a name. But each name in this passage challenges us to draw closer to the Lord and to each other and to walk in fellowship. Listen to the warmth and tenderness in Paul's heart as he greets the people that he's come to know and love over the years. Again, he's a great man and a great Bible teacher. But he's also a people person. And I find this so very, very interesting because people had access to Paul. And Paul had access to people. And Paul doesn't seem to base friendship on gender or theological sophistication or intellectual capacity or biblical literacy. What makes this list so interesting is that Paul is greeting people in Rome, a place where he has never been. You know, it takes time and energy and effort to meet people. And then those people sometimes move on. It takes time and energy to stay in touch. And maybe you've said that to yourself. Maybe you've said, this is the year that I'm going to do that family letter. This is the year that we're going to do the Christmas cards. This is the year that we're going to let the people in our lives know what is happening. And it usually takes place right around Christmas time when you get inundated with those family letters and Christmas cards. And you keep thinking, yes, yes, this is the time to stay in touch. And so Paul will write about standing with the saints. Look at verse 1. I commend you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Cancrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner that's worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she's been a helper of many and of myself also. Phoebe is going to be the person who's going to leave Corinth And Paul is going to take this letter and place it in her hands. She's going to be the bearer of precious cargo. She's sort of the first century FedEx lady or UPS lady. And this letter of 
of the book of Romans or the, the letter to the Romans is going to encourage the saints in Rome. It's going to change hearts. It's going to speak to, to lives in every generation. Remember, this is the letter that changed Martin Luther's life and launches the Protestant Reformation. This is the letter that John Wesley is going to read as he's reading the introduction to, to Martin Luther's commentary and he himself will be saved. This is the very letter that was preached on that snowy Sunday morning when Spurgeon was trying to make his way to a church and he ducks into an unfamiliar church and he hears the book of Romans being preached and he gets saved. Think of the tens of thousands of people who have walked in this epistle down the Romans road, heard it preached and their lives have been changed. Paul calls Phoebe a sister. A servant, a saint, a great help. Her name means bright, radiant. The name Phoebe was also one of the titles that was given to the Greek goddess Diana, which may mean that Phoebe grew up in a Greek household. She may have grown up in a pagan household. He also calls her servant. The Greek word is diakonon. It doesn't just simply mean servant in the sense of serving. It apparently alludes to an actual occupation or office, which has caused me to come to the conclusion that I believe that she was a leader. And we might even suggest that she may have been an official representative uh, of the church at Corinth. And the debate, of course, is whether she's functioning in in an official capacity or a, a practical capacity. There doesn't seem to me much doubt that she was functioning in a practical capacity. But Paul says to the Romans that she's to be welcomed and she's to be received because she stood and served with the saints in Corinth. She should, you should stand with her and serve her with the saints in Rome. Paul is basically saying, she stood with me in my time of need. I'm wondering if you would be willing to stand with her. In her time of need. The expression and assist her in whatever business she has need of suggests that she's on business. She has to make her way to Rome. And whether that is family business or personal business, it might have even been legal business. It wasn't unusual for people in the different provinces of Rome to go to Rome in order to transact legal issues. Believers are to receive and welcome one another. It's our universal obligation. The church isn't a members-only country club establishment. It isn't a society of cliques. We're, We're not to reject a Christian believer because he or she doesn't belong to our local church or a specific denomination or share our skin color or share our language or share our cultural heritage. We're not to reject a Christian because they don't live in our neighborhood. We can, of course, reject them if they are a Raider or a Seahawks fan. Just despise them along with me. I'm just teasing. Be as nice as you can to them. 
So what are the great lessons that we learn from Phoebe? Well, apparently women leaders serve valuable roles. They're to be treated with dignity and accorded great courtesy. Minister and serve the saints. Job told his friends in Job chapter 29 verse 15, I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. In Proverbs 31 20 we read, she stretches out her hand on behalf of the poor. Yes, she reaches her hands to the needy. Paul writes, Paul cares. He says, stand with the saints. And in verse 3, salute those who sacrifice. Look what it says. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. It's one thing to be supportive in ministry. It's another thing to risk your life in support of the saints, in support of the gospel, in support of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila have put their lives on the line. We're not told in the text where that happened or or how it happened. There seems to be good evidence that it may have happened in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila opened their hearts and then they opened their homes and then they risked their lives. We have fairly good reason to believe they might have spent some time in Rome prior to the writing of this letter. But the emperor Claudius banished Jews from Rome in AD 52. Claudius basically kicked all of the Jews out. And when Paul is writing this letter sometime after 56 AD, Sometime after 57 AD, sometime even maybe after 58 AD, the Jews were allowed to re-enter Rome. And apparently Priscilla and Aquila went back. They left Ephesus, returned to Rome. And before their return to Rome, they have a stop-off in Corinth. They were the couple who establishes a home in Corinth to Paul. When he arrives there, you'll remember that Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. And they invite Paul to join them in the family business. They later travel with Paul to Ephesus, again where they settle in Acts chapter 18, verse 18. So we find Priscilla and Aquila in Rome, in Corinth, in Ephesus. Wherever they're going and whatever they're doing... They're loving people, instructing people. It was in Corinth that this couple opened their homes to such famous guests as Apollos from Alexandria and instructed him in the finer nuances of the gospel, according to Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 26. They had church meetings in their homes in Corinth, Ephesus, Rome. Paul calls them my fellow workers or my helpers. Workers who risked their lives for him. It could be that it was in Ephesus where Paul comes under such profound threat. An incredible and vicious attack. That somehow, some way, that in a way that we're not told, they put their lives on the line in order to help him. 
Priscilla and Aquila had a consistent testimony of hospitality, instruction, sacrifice. And you'll note that Priscilla is named first in the narrative. She's the wife. And Aquila's the husband. They were the epitome of Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Given to hospitality. In Hebrews 13, 2 we read, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Some people might think, well, what if I don't want to open up my house? What if I'm a loner? And loners have to, well, loners have to be alone. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. There might be some things that are a little bit difficult, a little bit challenging, like saying hi. Are you a co-laborer with Christ? Are you a helper in the ministry of Jesus? And this is what's so exciting to me because many of you have opened your homes to guests and groups. People who come through the front range of Colorado. People who are on their way to missions trips are going to different places and, and seeking out different destinations, and God, by his grace and his mercy, has used you and your resources to love them and minister to them and encourage them. And I'm grateful to God for each and every one of you. In verse 5, it says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. The implication being that Priscilla and Aquila have a group of people who are meeting for worship for prayer, for instruction and encouragement. It says in verse 5, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Aponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Achaia is that ancient Roman province that constitutes the central and then the southern part of Greece. This is the place where Berea was located and Philippi was located. This is the place where Athens, and if you go further south, Corinth is located. And apparently, Eponidas is the first person that Paul has led to Christ in the area. He may have been a member of the household of Stephanus, who's called the first fruits of Achaia in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16. And then again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 15 and 17. Whatever else it means is Paul remembers the first person that he's led to Christ in this new area. You know what's exciting about that? Do you remember the first person that you led to Christ? Do you remember the first person who you were telling about the Lord Jesus, how Jesus loves you and saved you, and you gave them the gospel, and you shared the gospel with them, and they received Christ? For some of you, that might be a difficult thing to do because you've never led a single person to the Lord. But Paul remembers and Paul cares. It takes courage to leave a pagan family 
Joel Rosenberg, when he was here, talked about two groups of people. He, he talked about growing up in a Christian home where his mother and his father come to Christ, where his mother and his father are the first people in their family to come to Christ. And he talks about all of the wonderful privileges it is to grow up in, in, in a Christian home. And it is a wonderful privilege to grow up in, in a Christian home. But some of you, you're the first person to come to Christ in your family. I was the first to come to Christ in my family. Who will be the first to surrender and repent? Who will be the first to risk ridicule and misunderstanding and mockery and withdrawal and isolation and rejection? Eponidas is that person in Achaia. But note what's happening. He's writing to the people in Rome, which means that Eponidas has moved on. There was a chapter in his life. There was a chapter in the church and the congregation. He's a part of Paul's ministry team. But the ministry team is expanding and it is growing. And as the ministry team is expanding and growing, again, the powerful point, Paul remembers and Paul keeps in touch. And so we stay in touch. Look at verse 6. Greet Mary who labored much for us. This is one of my favorite passages because it reminds me of my wife. Mary who's labored much for, for us. Laboring, delivering three of our children. But it is more than that. Labor here is a word that means to work. To the point of exhaustion. It doesn't mean to just chip in and help. It means to get up early and stay up late. We have no idea what she did. We have no idea where she did it. But we know that she worked on Paul's team. And whatever it was, it was a labor of love. And it required effort. No wonder in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You may think, no one notices what I do. No one cares. No one knows that I clean the church or that I do the carpet or that somebody does the painting. You, you might be involved in, in a particular ministry where, where it, it, it is a ministry that doesn't get a lot of, of attention. But the Lord knows. The Lord watches. The Lord cares. But note again what's a part of this passage. It is great that the Lord knows and it's, it's great that the Lord cares. But note what the passage is implying to each and every one of us. That Paul knows and that Paul cares. In verse 7 it says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who were in Christ before me. Two believers, converts, Andronicus, Junia. When he says my countrymen, it could mean one of two things. That they're Jews. Or it could even mean that they're from the same location that Paul may or may not have grown up in. Whether it's 
Tarshish or whether it's in Jerusalem. It could even be a word that means a relative. When he says, my fellow prisoners, is he speaking metaphorically? Is he talking about that these are a, a, a man and a, and a woman who identify themselves as bond servants, prisoners of Jesus in the work of the ministry? Or are these really prisoners in the sense of people who have gone to jail for the testimony and the love of the Lord Jesus? Can you imagine spending a little time with Paul in a first century jail where Andronicus and And Junia, how were they related to each other? Were they husband and wife? We're not told. We're not told when and where they might have gone to jail together. We are told that they had a commitment to Christ and a love for Jesus that caused the apostles in the first century to stand up and take notice and say, I know these two guys. You may hear a name like Saeed Abedini who happens to be incarcerated in a jail cell in Iran and you go, I know that name, Saeed Abedini. I know that he's there. I I know that he is under profound pressure and he's been sentenced by an Iranian court to be put to death because he refuses to abandon his love and his commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Whoever they are, they're willing to suffer hardship for their faith, even if that meant incarceration. They were a part of Paul's mission team, even if it's only for a while. They're known and esteemed, but also, remember, they've come to Christ before Paul. You know what that means? That means that they had to have been saved sometime before the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. Again, were these relatives of Paul? Were these people who somehow had an influence on Saul the Pharisee in his pre-conversion years? Did they pray for him? What role did they play before Jesus showed up in his life on that eventful road to Damascus? We're not told. Did their decision to trust Jesus generate more anger and more hostility and more rebellion in Saul's heart as he goes out to persecute Christians? Whatever else it means, it means that there's a series of groups of people at work in the lives of one another. And Paul remembers. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. He, of course, is the patron saint of electricians. No, he's not. That's not what it means. The word amplius means enlarged. You have a word in your language. Ample. If you go to an all-you-can-eat barbecue and they bring you two pounds of ribs and another pound of chicken and another pound of beef, then you guys, hey, that's ample. That's sufficient. That's a lot. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. This is someone he cares about, that he thinks about in their companionship, in their relationship in Christ. Generations will read and speak his name. We don't remember what he did or how he served. We remember that he loved the Lord. 
and that Paul loved him. It says, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Urbanus, a man who works side by side with Paul. His name, by the way, Urbanus means belonging or having something to do with the city. We use this word in our own language. If you've ever used the word suburban or urban, it comes from a Latin root word, which is the name of this particular person. He may have been characterized by diligence or, or faith or civility or, or courtesy. Even in our own culture and society, we talk about big city folk and we talk about country folk. Stachus, called beloved. His dominant feature, my beloved. He's loved and he's cared for. Were they tradesmen? Were they salesmen? Were they soldiers? We're not told. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Apelles, tried, approved in Christ as faithful. And in verse 10, that word approved, that's the key word. It may be that Apelles had undergone some horrible trial. Apelles approved in Christ. How do you get approved in Christ? Usually there's some trial. There's some difficulty. There's some challenge. You know, it's one thing to be diagnosed with cancer. Or it's another thing to be diagnosed with an extremely difficult disease or a life-threatening disease. It's one thing to say you've lost your job or this particular issue has happened in your life. And all of a sudden you are under attack and you are under trial. And under attack and under a trial, guess what? You're going to either cave in to the fear and to the difficulty and the pain. Or you're going to trust the Lord Jesus. And as you trust the Lord Jesus, you're approved. Approved in Christ, is faithful. That a palace undergoes some horrible trial, some extreme suffering that was so profound and that his response made such an impression on Paul the Apostle that it changed his life and their relationship. Paul began to understand and learn what it meant to know and love the Lord Jesus in difficulty, in hardship. So far as we know, Apelles was a regular guy. There's no books, there's no seminars, there's no conferences, there's no worldwide ministry that we know of. But Apelles is tested and approved. And each and every Christian will sometimes find himself in a, a difficult circumstance where they'll be tested. By the way, the name Aristobulus means he who is wise or he who is, has, gives excellent counsel. The name means or implies at least maturity and, and wisdom and sound judgment. Paul writes, greet Herodian, my countrymen. Again, when you look at the list, you'll note something. Male and female, Jew and Gentile. He says, greet those who are of the household of Narcissus. This is a Greek name. Some of you are familiar with this name. You know the story of the Greek legend of 
of a young man who was incredibly attractive and he was pretty much stuck on himself and in a particular point in the narrative of Greek mythology he finds himself in a pool and he starts to gaze at himself in the reflection of the pool and like a bad SNL skit he goes you know I couldn't help but noticing when I look at the reflection I see myself in this pool of water and I think to myself you look good We get the word narcissistic from that. It's apparently a person who has an unhealthy preoccupation with himself. But he says, greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. And I think that this is interesting in and of itself, because in Roman households, you had a concentration of people in the real world, some who know the Lord and some who don't know the Lord. Just like in your home. There might be people in your life who don't self-identify as Christian. They don't identify themselves as Jesus followers or Jesus lovers. But it's always been this way. That in every church and in, in, in every generation, there's groups of people who gather. In verse 12, it says, Greet Tryphena and Trephosa who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. So are Tryphena and Trophosa sort of an ancient version of the Olsen twins? Well, let me tell you what their names mean. In the Greek language, Tryphena and Trophosa mean dainty and delicate. Isn't that great? Dainty and delicate work to the place of exhaustion in the Lord. I love that. Because names don't always reveal all that you might think. In elementary school growing up, there were a set of twins that was in every grade with me, from first grade all the way through junior high school. And I, I remember their names were Taryn and, and Terrell. And Taryn and Terrell, if you're, you're listening, hi. They later came to Christ. Paul says, dainty and delicate, worked hard. Maybe you knew twins, or maybe there are twins in your family, or, or maybe you are a twin. My mother's youngest brother and sister were twins, and they named them Roger Dale and Linda Gale. There's something about twins that you just want to be cute, and I suspect that that's what happened here. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, and mine, who is this guy, Rufus? In Mark's gospel, chapter 15, verse 21, we read, Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. This has caused some scholars to think, is this the same Rufus? Perhaps. If it is, his famous father carried the cross of Jesus. When Jesus stumbled and fell, the cultural scholar William Barclay writes, quote, Now, if the man is identified by the names of his sons, it means that although he himself may not be personally known to the community to whom the story is being told, the sons are. To who or what did the church, church did Mark write the gospel? 
almost certainly he writes it to the church of Rome. And he knew that the church would know who Alexander and Rufus were. He was the son of Simon, who carried the cross of Jesus. And this is interesting in and of itself too, because Paul may have been familiar. Now again, when you read the text, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, maybe the wife of Simon the Cyrenian, and mine. This is interesting in and of itself. Do you ever imagine Paul as a guy who needs a mom every now and then? (laughs) This is one of the interesting insights I get from this particular passage. In Mark's gospel chapter 10 verse 29 and 30 it says assuredly I say to you that there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions now and in the age to come eternal life I suspect that Paul could rightly say, I have hundreds of mothers and hundreds of fathers and brothers and sisters and farms and facilities. Paul has treasure. It's not just theological treasure. It's not just simply a reward in heaven. Paul has develop a treasure trove of men and women that he loves and that love him back. Greet Asynicritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. The name Phlegon means enthusiasm, zeal, an intense and applied sincerity and willingness. We might even think of the word phlegon in terms of productive. The way that I might put it is if we contrast and we compare two kinds of lives, enthusiastic, indifferent, energetic, apathetic, phlegon is productive. He is the opposite of a wasted life. Greet philologus, no relationship to snuffleupagus. But their names are close, huh? Some of you are going, I know that name, snuffleupagus. Where's that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. Philologus comes from two words philos, which means lover, and logos, which means of the word. So here it means a person who loves to learn. You know, faith has its beginning in wisdom. Paul will write to the people at Colossae and say that in Jesus is hidden all the wisdom of God. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. The implication being the churches who are at Corinth and in Greece. I read a sad story of an 87-year-old woman in Grand Rapids 
who appealed to the state to place her in a nursing home. She wrote, quote, I don't blame people for not taking time to see me. I'm not very interesting, she said. Everybody I know is either dead or moved away. I'd like some company, unquote. The newspaper article reporting on her situation went on to state that except for a shopping trip once or twice a month, this widow rarely left her apartment. Her typical day began at 6.30 in the morning with breakfast of toast and coffee. Then she would water her garden in the kitchen, which consisted of five small potted plants. And tidying up the place, she would spend the rest of the day looking out her window. Her day ended at 8.30. After a light supper, she went to bed. People sometimes eat alone. Not because they want to. But circumstances seem that they have to. You know, in his book, The Greening of America, Charles Reich writes, quote, America is one vast, terrifying anti-community. The great organizations to which most people give their working day and the apartments and suburbs to which they return at night are equally places of loneliness and alienation. Protocol, competition, hostility, and fear have replaced the warmth of the circle of affection which might sustain man against a hostile universe, unquote. Sometimes the world is very cold. And tragically, sometimes the church is even colder. Paul's solution? Greet one another with a holy kiss. I know what you're thinking. Does he mean an actual kiss? Well, in some cultures, that's exactly what they do. Italian people kiss. They squeezed with great enthusiasm. Jewish people were huggers and kissers. In the Middle East, they were huggers and kissers. Some Russians and Arabs are huggers and kissers. And you may have been raised in a culture where the way that you express affection is by a handshake or a smile or an invitation. If you could have grown up in the world that I grew up in, after church on Sunday in New Orleans, Louisiana, when we would go to Nona's house, you go to her house and she kisses you and she doesn't stop kissing you. Go, Nona, Nona, I just love you so much. I'm so glad you're here. You sit down. I'm going to feed you. And that's exactly what she would do. In an Italian house, when they say, you want more? If you say no, they give you a little more. If you say yes, they give you a lot more. <laughs> We're to be people. People. Do you know the number one reason why people go to and remain at any given church? It's not the worship service. It's not even the pastor. It's not the children's ministry. 
It's not the programs at the church. The number one reason why people go to a church and stay at a church is because of the people who are at the church. And theology matters. It matters a lot to me. Worship and the word matter to me. Student and children ministries matter to me. But to the unchurched, to the lonely, to the empty, friendly people are what matter. One person wrote, quote, I probably wouldn't know a good religious teaching from a bad or a great sermon from one that breaks every rule in the preaching manual. But I sure know nice people from jerks. I know the difference between real people and hypocrites. He wrote, I'd stay at a church with lousy teaching, but genuinely friendly people, people who got to know me and care about me and respect my needs and my boundaries before I'd stay at a place with perfect teaching and lousy people. Unquote. Paul Massive intellect. Amazing theologian. Great teacher. But he was caring. Kind. Affectionate. And most of all, he had an amazing memory for the people who worked with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that sometimes it's a challenge to just simply smile, to stick out our hand, say, how are you, to offer an invitation, to meet maybe a little bit later, to offer some warmth, some kindness, some respect, some gentleness, some understanding. And Heavenly Father, again, we know that sometimes people just want to be by themselves. But Lord, we pray for each and every person who lives a life of constant loneliness. Who desperately want to connect and find it almost impossible. Lord, we pray that you would cultivate within us this surprising ability to care. And not just to care but to care deeply and then to remember. And so, Heavenly Father, again, we pray that we could learn our lessons from a simple list of names. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's.